Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. All right. All right. Well, uh, today we are going to begin a new series because why not, right? Everything is new. And so uh, the series that we're going to be jumping in uh, today is called Made for This. I think we're going to have something on the screen behind me, Made for This. And this was born out of conversations with pastors uh, where we were having the discussion that, man, it's years like 2020 that the church was built for, right? Like we were made for this. We, we were made to be a people who shine when it is darkest. We were made to be a people who rejoice in the midst of hardship. We were made for such a time as this. So for the next three weeks, we're going to look at five different practices. That's a, a loose word. You could use a different word, but we're going to use the word practices. We're going to do one tonight and then two each of the next two weeks. And as we do that, we talk about practices that, that we were made to experience. I want to give one word of caution, and it is this. If you are a type A personality, or an Enneagram 1 or 3, and yes, I just singled you out, this is not practices to help you be more acceptable to God, okay? I know we probably all struggle with that, but special word of caution if you fit one of those descriptors. What these are instead are pathways to experiencing the abundant life for which God created us. So let's approach it from that perspective. Well, last week I uh, dealt with a P word that I hope I don't have to deal with again for a long time, politics. This week I'm dealing with a different P word and I'm excited to deal with it because today we're talking about that we as a church are made for prayer. We are made for prayer. Richard Foster in his book, Prayer, Finding the Heart's True Home, said this, We today yearn for prayer and hide from it. We are attracted to it and repelled by it. Now, if that resonates with you, know that it resonates with your pastor as I speak those words. That I both yearn for prayer and yet I at times hide from it. I both am attracted to it and yet somehow repelled by it. Prayer is tough work. So what I want to do today is I want to address three prayer hurdles, and I believe these are common prayer hurdles that just about every Christian is going to encounter as we seek to run the race, language that Paul used, run the race, or as the writer of Hebrews said, to run with perseverance the race marked out for us. One of the ways we do that is through prayer, and yet we're going to see that there are hurdles, there are challenges, there's obstacles that we've got to overcome in order to be effective at the discipline of prayer. We're going to mostly spend time on those uh, three hurdles. Let me first do this. If you uh, are wondering what kind of prayer we're talking about, because there are different kinds, well, one common way to think about prayer is to put it into one of four categories. And you can use the acronym ACTS, A-C-T-S. So these would be prayers of adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, which is another word for intercession. Um, I'm actually going to give you a different acronym that's harder to remember. You can thank me later, right? But I just, I just categorize them a little bit differently in my practice. It's not a right or a wrong. Um, I group adoration and thanksgiving into one. I call it worship. It's, it's adoration is, is, of course, ascribing to God his goodness, his power, his glory. And we think of thanksgiving maybe as thanking God for things that he's done, like 
sending Jesus or giving us shelter or our family. But I think we can kind of put those together and just say there's prayers of worship. Then there's also prayers of meditation. This is when we're just quietly reflecting, maybe even without words, reflecting on the goodness of God or just sitting quietly and feeling the wind uh, blow in our face and knowing that God created it or, or hearing birds chirp and, and understanding that God is the creator, but we're meditating on who God is. Uh, then there's prayers of confession where we're acknowledging that the ancients called this the prayer of examine. That was their, their word for it, but it's when we're turning the, the scope inward and we're going, God, what is in me? As David, the psalmist said, Lord, search my heart and see if there be any wicked way in me. And we pray prayers of confession. And then finally, prayers of intercession. So the new acronym is WMCI. Uh, way harder to remember, but if you wrote it down, that's going to help you. We're going to revisit these four types of prayer later, uh, but mainly we're going to address these three hurdles. And as we do that, I, I want to begin with my own confession. More often than not, when I pray, what happens is that I find myself quickly uh, drifting mentally to other things. Anybody else relate with that? Or I fall asleep. <laughs> because for the first time in my day or the first time in my morning or whatever it is, I'm not doing something. Okay? And so one of the things that I've done is, I, is I've, I've disciplined myself to try to read a little bit about prayer. But here's the problem. You know what happens when you read about prayer is you feel guilty that you're not like that. Uh, this is especially profound for me, and, and he's a great guy, and it's actually a great book, but there's a book called uh, Prayer by E.M. Bounds, and, and you start learning that like these great men and women of the faith, like they spent three hours every morning in prayer, and you're like, wow, I don't know that I can do that. Like, like give me a starting point, right? So, so I, I can sometimes feel guilty, and then more often than not, when I'm done praying, I wonder if it was long enough or if I covered everything, or if my prayers were too selfish, or if they were insignificant. See, and all of those things can cause us to, as, as Richard Foster said, cause, cause us to be repelled by something that God made us to enjoy and to experience his goodness through. So we're going to talk about these three hurdles. hurdles. Here, here's the first one, and we've already kind of dipped our toe in the water. The first hurdle we got to overcome as it relates to prayer is the theology hurdle. Okay, the theology hurdle. This hurdle is rooted in three different misconceptions that are related to prayer. I'll tell you what they are and then we'll break them down each in just a little bit. Number one, I need more or better words to pray effectively. Misconception number two, everything is predetermined so my prayers don't make a difference anyway. And misconception number three, because God didn't answer a prayer in a particular way in the past, prayer is useless. Okay, let's look at the first misconception together under this umbrella of the theology hurdle. Number one, I need more or better words to pray effectively. Some of the most liberating verses that I believe exist in all of the Bible are on the topic of prayer. I'll give you a couple. Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 to 8, Jesus, in his lead-in to what we call the Lord's Prayer, said this, Disciples, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So Jesus actually says, hey, long-winded prayers, uh, fluffy-sounding words, that's not scoring any points for you, right? In fact, don't be like that. One of the most startling things about the Lord's Prayer is not the content that Jesus told them to pray. 
It's that it only takes 15 seconds to do it. <laughs> and these verses that lead into the Lord's Prayer show us that a big part of what Jesus was teaching the disciples about prayer is it doesn't have to be a marathon every time you pray. Three hours in the morning is great, and if you do it, don't stop. But if it's 30 seconds to a minute, and then you grow from a minute to two minutes, and pretty soon you're able to pray for five minutes, just continue growing in the practice of prayer. Here's another verse that I love, Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words. This frees us from the need to, to say all the right things when we pray, much like when your child at two years old came and said, Dada, can I have Pischetti? And you didn't say, well, actually, it's spaghetti. Get it right, right? Nor did you say, uh, what you should have said is, Dad, would you cook noodles in boiling water for 12 minutes and then put them with heated pasta sauce and mix it together so that I may eat a dish called spaghetti. They can just say, Dad, can I have Pischetti? Right? <laughs> because God is not impressed by the length of our prayers, nor by the correctness of our prayers. He's looking for faith within our prayers. It's why Jesus said, when you pray, say, Father, who is in heaven, Abba, Daddy, come to him like that. See, I think that's one of the hurdles that we encounter is, is we think we got to get it all right. And, and really, we place ourselves in a position God never meant for us to be. We're his kids. We're like toddlers in the kingdom asking our father for what is good. Second misconception is simply this, that everything is predetermined, so my prayers don't make a difference anyway. Some of us will struggle with this more than others, but for some of us, it's a very real challenge. And I want to just gently blow to smithereens this misconception. And here's why. In the Old Testament, we have many examples of men and women interacting with God in ways that made a difference. Like Abraham bargaining with God for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Like Hannah throwing herself on the floor of the temple for a son named Samuel. Like Joshua praying for the sun to stand still and in Joshua 10, 14, it says that the Lord heeded the voice of a man. Leave that there for just a moment. Remember the misconception. We, it doesn't matter. Everything is predetermined, so there's no point in prayer anyway. And yet we see examples in Scripture where God condescended to the prayers of a person. You go, well, that's all Old Testament. What about the New Testament? Uh, Elijah prayed for three and a half years. Again, Old Testament. But James in the New Testament said, hey, by the way, James 5, 16, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and what? Effective. Effective. It affects something in real world. And James said, remember, Elijah was a man just like us. Meaning, implication being, if Elijah prayed and it made a difference, don't think that your prayers do not make a difference. Let's go to the third misconception. Misconception number three because God doesn't answer, or because God didn't answer my prayer in a particular way, prayer doesn't work. Now, this is probably the one we'd be the least, uh, or maybe the most reluctant to admit, but it's also perhaps the hardest one to overcome. Because this one's rooted not only in the intellect, but in the emotion. We prayed, we believed, and yet our prayer wasn't answered the way we thought it would be. 
Most of you know that at 18 years old, I lost my mom to, to cancer. After months and months of godly men and women around the world praying for this mother of seven children, pastor's wife, to be healed. And, and, and to say that that didn't rock me or that didn't impact my theology around prayer would, would be a lie, right? And, and if we were honest and we've, if we put all our cards on the table, I think a lot of us could say, you know what? There was something that I prayed very specifically for. And when God didn't answer the prayer, like touching a hot stove, I went, man, I don't want to be hurt like that again. Therefore, maybe I just won't pray. Truth is, a significant part of the pain of loss is the feeling that God did not come through for us, especially if we pray, if we pray that he would. It's not just, I, I lost my mom, but I lost my mom and God, where were you? Not just that our child drifted from the faith and got caught up in destructive patterns, but as that was happening, God, you said train up a child in the way he should go. God, where were you? And because of this wrestling of both the intellect and the emotion, we can be paralyzed in prayer. The truth is, sometimes God allows tragic circumstances for a greater purpose. Remember that even Jesus said, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup be taken from me. That was the prayer of Jesus. Yet not my will, but yours be done. A, a greater and a higher purpose was in play. So, so that can happen. But, but I'll tell you what, even though I lost my mom and that was one of the most profound experiences of my life, if I, if I were to put it on a scale, and I've never done this, this might be a good exercise to try, I, I could honestly tell you that I believe more prayers have been answered than unanswered. Or, or maybe say it like this, more prayers have been answered in the way that I prayed than not. Like when I prayed for a 24-week baby that was one pound and nine ounces and fervently asked the Lord, for her life, to not only survive, but to thrive. And God answered that prayer. Like when Nikki and I, after having two children, knew that this would be our last opportunity because of complications with the others, and we desperately wanted a son. And we went to the women at our church, the prayer team at our church, and they prayed for the boy in Nikki's womb before we knew what he was, and we had our son, Jonah. Like when my dad nearly died from a pulmonary embolism, and doctors said it was probably uh, going to be, it was probably going to end in death. And we prayed and he lived. And, and, and the way that we keep score sometimes is that the prayers that don't get answered live so much bigger than the ones that do, right? And, and it clouds it out and we go, because there was this one time or it might've even been two or three times. So prayer just doesn't work. And I would ask the question, what percent of prayers would God have to answer in the way you want them for you to believe that prayer makes a difference? Because if it's 100%, then you have surpassed the prayers of Jesus, right? You've surpassed the prayers of Paul. Remember, Paul said, three times I pleaded with the Lord for the thorn to be removed. But he said, what? You remember? My grace is sufficient for you. My, perfect, my, my uh, peace, my power is made perfect in weakness. I knew I'd get it there. My power is is made perfect in weakness. So 100%? No, well, maybe 90%? I mean, if your prayers were answered 50% of the time, what about 20 or 10? Would it not still be worth pleading with the king of heaven, the God of the universe? If there was any effect to your prayers, and we know that there is. So let's not let this become a hurdle to praying. We know the prayers of the righteous are powerful and effective, even if we don't always 
get what we want. Let's go to the second hurdle. I wrestled a little bit with what to call this one. I landed here. We're going to call this the imagination hurdle. The imagination hurdle. You probably hear that word and you think of what category of people? Imagination is for children, right? Children. Because most children have an imagination that you could describe as active and good, right? Do children have active imaginations? I know mine do, (laughs) right? I, I know that I did when after watching Karate Kid as a child, I was the Karate Kid for the next three weeks, right? And like, and then we watched Rocky. Like, I lived from movie to movie, and then I became that character. Yes, I became William Wallace as a teenager, right? This was, but imagination, because we can, as children, imagine things, and it's, it's active, and we dress up, and we play, and, and we pretend, and I watched my children do this. Their imaginations are active, and they are good, but over time, over time, most people have one of two experiences, maybe both. For some, their imagination is continuously discouraged. They're called space cadets and dreamers and, you know, earth, earth to Chris, right? You go, oh, I gotta, I gotta shut, shut down. That's not, it's not real. Let's pretend. I gotta live in the real world. I can't, I can't pretend things. I can't imagine things. And then others, their imagination is hijacked. This happened to me in, as an early teenager, where things of the flesh, where sexual desires, th- things took over my imagination. And then when I went to think what used to be play, what used to be fun and innocent, turned dangerous, turned harmful, turned exploitative. And, and so most children, as, as we grow up, our, our, our imaginations either get hijacked or they get discouraged. And the result is what started as something active and good becomes either inactive or corrupt or both. You say, what does this have to do with prayer? A lot. I'll get to that in just a second. Maybe you're stumbling over the word imagination. Let me give you a grown-up word for it. Let's use the word vision. Here's how I would describe vision. Vision is imagination on fire. Vision is just imagination on fire. We, we naturally look up to people who have vision. These are people who have found a way to, to either preserve or return to the imagination of their childhood. And the spark of that was in them. Men like William Wilberforce, who in the 18th century imagined a post-slavery world. Or like Hudson Taylor, who in the 19th century imagined and evangelized China, though no Christian missionaries from the West had ever been there. Women like Susan B. Anthony, who imagined a world where women had the equal right to vote. Uh, Men like Martin Luther King Jr., who imagined a world in which people would not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. All of these individuals had an imagination on fire. It led to vision, and it birthed good things. And here's what it has to do with prayer. If vision is imagination on fire, prayer is the spark that ignites the flame. See, all of those people were people of faith. And they brought this vision. God, I'm just picturing a world where this could be possible, where this could be true. It's not true now. It's not manifest in our world today, but I'm imagining that it could be. And they brought these as prayers to the one who could answer those prayers. I ask you this question. What is something that you can imagine or something you desire to see become a reality, but that is not yet so? Maybe that is for a prodigal child to return 
to the Lord. Maybe it's to experience love and laughter in your marriage, though you haven't for months or years. Maybe you're able able to imagine emptying Central Florida's foster care system because every child has been placed in a loving home. Or maybe it's to imagine racial reconciliation in our community, in our nation, in our world. When I was younger and I, and I was struggling tremendously with prayer uh, when I was first walking with the Lord, and it, it, maybe you can relate with this, it was almost like I had a grocery list in my head of all the things I needed to pray, right? And I would see those words and then I had the, you know, the proverbial pen just marking it, okay, I prayed for this, I prayed for this, I prayed for this. And then I went to pray for a family member. And the name just, it just didn't evoke what it needed to evoke. And so I, I uh, just maybe a prompting of the Holy Spirit, I stopped praying and I started imagining. And I imagined this person who was so bitter and hard-hearted, just weeping. I imagined this person who was fighting with God, raising their hands in worship. And I just spent a few minutes just imagining this becoming a reality and then I said something like, yes, Lord. <laughs> so, oh, that's not prayer. That doesn't count. Really? Might I challenge you that these kind of prayers of picture or imaginative prayers could spark something in your prayer life if you would practice it? See, praying in pictures creates a deeper emotional connection to the thing prayed for, and it also can help us to believe what is being prayed for could become a reality because we're seeing it, right? We're imagining it. And then we bring that prayer. We say, amen, or so be it, or yes, Lord, to the Father. Here's the last uh, hurdle we're going to look at. So we've had the theology hurdle, the imaginative hurdle, and the last one we're going to look at is the strategy hurdle, strategy hurdle, because we want to make the rubber meet the road here, right? We want to put shoes on this thing. If we're going to overcome these hurdles, I want to give you uh, uh, some handles and ways to do that. If the theology hurdle addresses our lack of a proper understanding on prayer, and the imagination hurdle addresses a lack of inspired vision in prayer, the strategy hurdle addresses our lack of a clear plan for prayer. So that's where I want to go next. I want to go to a clear plan for prayer. Someone said that failing to plan is planning to fail. Until we make a plan, we're just wishful. I wish I prayed more. I wish I was better at prayer. Let's move it to a plan. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, we're commanded to pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. It should be clear by this point in the message that this does not mean that we live on our knees with our eyes closed talking to God. It means something different. What it means instead is that we are called to continual and uninterrupted communion with God to be at all times in communion and union with God, where the slightest whisper from the Lord can be received and heard, where every instinct and impulse and anxiety is quickly ushered into the throne room, into the presence of God. It's that kind of a union. And by the way, and this isn't in my notes, but I, I was like, I got to fit it somewhere. I'm going to put it right here. Probably one of the biggest challenges, and you could put it under imagination or under strategy, is we spend way too much time on our phones. <laughs> and we spend way too much time watching the news. And I'm just telling you, one of the ways that the enemy hijacks our imagination and he cripples our strategic plan is by when we go to pray, all we can think about is what we've put into our brains. And we're anxious. And we're frazzled. And we're trying to figure it out. 
So this is why sometimes I go, man, I, before I even like look at my checking account this morning, because the moment I do that, I'm going to be anxious. Before I pull out my calendar and look at my meetings, because once I do that, I'm going to be anxious, right? And anxiety, remember, is an enemy to prayer. Uh, Paul said, don't be anxious, but instead, what? What's the antidote to anxiety? In all things, by prayer and petitions, present your requests to God. So I've kind of tipped my hand where I'm going, but this is, this is what we need. We need a plan to pray, and we need to keep our minds clear enough to be able to do that. Pray without ceasing. How do, how do we get there? How do we get in a place of constant communion with God? Here's what I would tell you. We learn to pray at all times. That's what one of the other translations says, pray at all times. We learn to pray at all times by praying at specific times. Here's what I mean. If I told you that I was a runner, and you asked me, well, when do you run? And, and I said, you know, I just, I'm just kind of a runner. <laughs> you know? I just, I just kind of run from the car to the house. Like, just, I'm just a runner, you know? You'd, you'd be like, you're not a runner. Like, that's not the case, right? But my buddies Alex and Austin and Emily are runners. You know why? Because at certain times in the morning, certain times in the week, they put their shoes on, they lace them up, they open the front door, and they run. And they can say, I'm a runner. And when you become a runner, I'm told, it actually changes your lifestyle. All of a sudden, that extra dessert, you're like, nah, man, if I'm running in the morning, that doesn't need to be in me, right? I'm going to drink the water instead of the soda because I'm a, I'm a runner. It changes, but you learn to do that by doing it at specific times. Or let me give you another example. If I said, man, Nikki and I have a great, great marriage. We're, we're like so in love. It's like, we're, it's like we're on a date all the time. And you're like, that's great, Chris. How, long do you, like, how often do you actually go on dates? Well, we don't go on dates, but our life is like a date, man. Like, right? We're just so, and you'd go, yeah, his wife needs a date. Like, that, that's not. So we learn to pray at all times by praying at specific times. Discipline is not a dirty word, right? And discipline is not an enemy to grace. In fact, discipline, practice, submitting ourselves to certain uh, restrictions in that way, can usher in the grace of God in, in profound ways. Not saving grace. We're saved by just pure grace alone. But I'm talking about growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord, which Scripture tells us to do. So at the risk of sounding legalistic or even being legalistic, th this is a recommendation I'm going to make around prayer. I want to strongly recommend that you have a startup routine in the morning that involves a time of prayer. Some of you are going to go, not the morning, <laughs> you know, like I'm not a morning person. Okay. It's not, it doesn't say it in the Bible. It's not like you have to do it then if another time works. But there is some scripture around morning prayer. Psalm 88, 13. But I, O Lord, cry to you in the morning. My prayer comes before you. We know that Jesus' pattern was often to pray in the morning. This is what it says in Mark 1, 35. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. Now, what is it about the morning that makes that a fertile time for prayer? I, I go back to something I said earlier. When I first wake up, as long as I haven't picked my phone up yet, I'm kind of a blank slate. Now, not fully, right? Like the cares of last night can still, but once the day starts, I'm like not a blank slate at all. Like I'm all over the place. But in the morning, when the sun's coming up, it's quiet. And I come to the Lord. 
I can commune and connect with him better at that time. Now, if it works better for you at night and you go, man, for me, it's once the kids go down, I can't beat my kids out of bed, right? Like, I, I get that. I've been in that season too. I'm not, this isn't guilting you. I'm just saying, find a time when you can really get alone with the Father, clear your mind, and pray and speak to him. So the when matters. I also think the, the where matters, and that maybe not quite as important, but, but helpful. It is helpful to have a place of prayer, okay? We're, we're, we're creatures of habit, and, and when certain places are designated as places of prayer, then it's a prompt to our brain when we're there, oh, we're here not to get on Facebook, we're here to pray. I'll give you an example of how our minds work. Uh, my best friend was in town just last night from Indiana, hung out at, uh, with me and Nikki, and, and then I found out at the end of the night that he had Ubered there and I needed to take him back to his hotel, and so we had this long drive. But when I went to get on the turnpike to take him toward the airport, which meant going toward Miami, guess what I did? I went north toward Ocala. You know why? Because every time I'm there, I go north, not south. And it added like 10 minutes to the trip. But the reason I tell you that is I know when I'm here, my brain says this is where we turn north to go toward Horizon West or Winter Garden, not south toward whatever's that way. Like, I don't go that way. <laughs> and the same can happen when it comes to prayer. When we have a place of prayer, it can be a prompt for our minds. For me right now, this is the back patio. And it was important for me to kind of put some flowers out there and kind of clean it up and not have the kids' stuff because I needed some, you know, decluttered, kind of pretty. So that, that's where it is. Family's in the process of moving, so we're going to have a backyard soon. So that's going to be probably my place of prayer or maybe the front porch there. Uh, this could be a closet. And you've seen the war room where you turn the, the closet into a, a prayer room. Could be a breakfast table. Get a cup of coffee. And that's your startup routine. Your mind, your body knows, okay, coffee's brewing, sun's coming up, we're sitting down at the table, we're here to meet with God, we're here to pray. And one final, we're talking about a plan, one final thing, and, and I gotta put this disclaimer, I don't have this in a very specific way, and it's probably better to have it specific, but another aid could be to have a person who keeps you accountable, accountable to prayer, right? Because even a time and a place, it's hard to stay disciplined uh, one of the reasons that Alex and Austin are able to, to, to run as often as they do, and Emily as well, they often run with other people, right? That can be a good discipline. Or somebody else might not be running with them, but going, hey, did you run yesterday, right? Uh, one thing that can be really helpful is if somebody's in the same rhythm with you and you're both getting up at six o'clock every morning to pray in different places. And you can even text the person, hey, I'm up praying for you. You know, it's like prompt, right? So these can be all good things because if all this is is theoretical, and we don't get to actual prayer, then we've missed the mark. We want to overcome the hurdles to run the race of prayer. Let's go back quickly to the WMCI acronym that you've already forgot because it's not easy to remember. Um, I, I want to quickly give you a resource for each of the four different areas, and these are just my categories. So you can have different ones. A resource for each of the areas uh, of prayer. Let's start with worship. Uh, one of the things um, that has been helpful for me is when I go to the back porch, um, I have made a playlist for, I made it for October and I made it again for November. You can do this on Spotify or Apple Music or honestly, you could get a CD or a, a tape or a record or a, I don't know. Um, or you, you, might even, you might even have like a, a good voice or, or a guitar, like you could go out, but, but most of us aren't wired that way, right? Like we're gonna need something that's been pre-recorded, that's fine. The song we sang earlier, 
where we sang, great is your faithfulness, oh God, to me. That has been on my October and November playlist. So some days when I got to pray, I'm not just kind of praying. I'm like, today I want to worship. That's what I need today. Today is going to be about worship. And I'll pull up the playlist. It's the only reason I have my phone out. Turn it on, put it down, and I rehearse those lyrics and those truths about God. Or Fernando Ortega's Jesus, King of Angels. Heaven's light, right? Like, man, just being reminded. And I worship in that way. And that can be a great aid to us as we pray prayers of worship. Meditation. Uh, one, of the, one of the great resources I found for this, it's called the One Minute Pause app. This was created by a guy named John Ortberg. It's, it's, it's what it sounds like. It's literally one minute of kind of quiet, uh, meditative music with some biblical and Jesus-centered uh, promptings toward prayer. And, and once you've done like three one minutes, you can unlock the three minute and then the five minute and then the 10 minute. We've done this as a family, but normally I just do this on my own. And it's, it's almost like a tour guide in prayer. It's somebody that's walking you through prayer and, and it can be super helpful for meditation. I don't feel the need to very much engage my mind, but I'm letting someone who is a spirit-filled, Jesus-loving person guide me in prayers of meditation. That, that can be found on all the different things, app stores, Google Play, all that stuff. But the one-minute pause app, I recommend for that. The next two are going to be less high-tech, but for prayers of confession, one of the ways that I've handled this is to just get out a notepad or a piece of paper and allow the Holy Spirit to examine my heart. And when something comes up, I write it down. It could be a word, it could be a phrase. I'm not, I don't care about spelling or grammar. I, no one's reading this. I'm not trying to, to make it look good. But I might sit there with a pen and notepad in hand, say, like David said, Lord, search my heart and see if there's any wicked way in me. And all of a sudden, something comes up. And you were really short with Olivia last night. You know, and she's sensitive and you probably hurt her feelings. Okay, I gotta, gotta jot that, that, Lord, I confess that. You know, it's probably gonna prompt me later to go and make it right with Olivia, but right now, I just need to acknowledge it. And I, need to, I need to write it down. And as we do this, you might have one or two, or you might fill up a page if you haven't done it in a while, especially, you might go, man, I got a lot going on. But here's the, here's the, the other part to this that I would encourage you. This could feel defeating because it's like you're rehearsing your, your sins, right? Like, oh man, I'm, I'm junky. This is bad. So here's what you do at the end of it. You've allowed the Spirit to examine your heart. You've got it down on pen. You've acknowledged it. It's not mess ups or mistakes. It's sin. God, I have sinned. And then you take the paper and you rip it to shreds. And you say, Jesus, thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for saving me. Or you safely burn the thing, right? And you watch the flames. And those flames remind you, this sin is paid for. Jesus' blood has covered me, okay? So prayers of confession. And then the last one is prayers of intercession. Intercession is when I'm praying with a specific focus toward other people. I'll confess that my biggest hurdle with prayer of intercession is I, I think mostly about myself. It's tough sometimes to sit in the pain and the complexity of other people and pray for them, but we're called to do it. We need it. I need you praying for me. You need me praying for you. And so one thing I've seen used effectively, I'm not, I don't have one right now, but I have in the past is a prayer board where you throw up pictures of family members, people on the mission field, neighbors that you want to see come to know Christ. This helps with the imaginative prayers or the prayer of pictures because you can actually look and see the individuals and say, God, I'm praying for your movement in this person's life. It's a constant reminder that you yield to the Lord these prayers of intercession. Horizon West Church, I have a dream, a vision, an imagination on fire that we would be a praying church. 
we have become so accustomed in the Western world of the United States of America, we've become accustomed to resources, books and, and podcasts, and, 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 and these can be helpful, as I've already alluded to. Resources can be helpful. But resources are resources. They are not the power of God. And what I long for is that we would all press into being people of prayer, that our faith would grow. If all of us moved the needle a little bit, and we all were just praying a little more and praying with faith, not just ritualistic or superstitious, but saying, God, I, I believe you. I'm, I'm submitting these one or two or three things for specific prayer, and we do that together. What if you began to press into God in prayer like never before? What if your prayers started bringing about changes to your attitude and in the lives of the people around you? What if these changes kindled a small fire of revival in your family, in your workplace, or in your small group? What if that fire began to spread through your neighborhood and through your community? What if the church became a place where the fire of God was fanned into full flame in the hearts of people as we prayed together? What if we started seeing people saved and baptized? We saw collaboration between churches and communities transformed. What if we began sending the fire of God in the lives of people through prayer to other countries and other communities and other parts of the world? It's not going to happen without prayer. It's not going to happen without prayer. Prayer is submitting to the purposes and the will of God and believing that God will do what he alone can do. E.M. Bounds, I mentioned him earlier. I don't read his book, but read his quotes because they're good and they're shorter. This is my, my, favorite, my favorite quote by E.M. Bounds. Here it is. Around us is a world lost in sin. Above us is a God willing and able to save. It is ours to build the bridge that links heaven and earth, and prayer is the mighty instrument that does the work. Friends, do you long to be about the work of prayer? Do you long to see the world reconciled to God. The work is prayer. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service time, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.